Hello, lifers, and welcome to a very special episode of Because Life Can Be a Niche Podcast. If wherever you are watching, if you're watching on YouTube or you're listening, wherever you get your podcast, we appreciate you and thank you for coming into the living room with us. Today, I'm excited because we, uh, I get to sit down with uh, my sorority sister, a very dear friend, and a an amazing, talented a beautiful, beautiful woman who uh, has so much to share and a story to tell. Uh, She's not only my sorority sister, but also a a faith-filled sister who has taken the music industry and recording career and traveling from being involved at such a young age, uh, starting singing and performing at age three, and then going on tour, opening up for people like Justin's Child and 112, to uh, gospel recording, to now having our own production company and also appearing in films and making music and developing uh, musical and most talented and and, and outrageously talented uh, family and uh, married to the love of her life, her soulmate, who is also in the industry. It's such a beautiful story. Uh, but but I invite you here to sit with us on these three, four episodes because it is so much to tell and so much to share that it is, uh, to me, uh, definitely something that is the worth the series that we're giving it because we go and we talk about the industry and making it in the music industry to uh, living and healing through uh, chronic illness, uh, something that she uh, deals with on a regular basis, but is coming on the other side of that to also healing from uh, sexual abuse and childhood trauma and coming out on the other side of that. It is definitely a story that you need to hear and share and and just you know sit down with us in the living room and just give a moment to uh, everything that's happened in, in in her amazing life and then where she is today and with her family and all the wonderful amazing incredible things that we are about to see and and even more to come so thank you guys for joining us and I'm excited to have Beauty Munoz uh, on on the scene with me. Um, just, I, I can't wait to just for you all to hear everything uh, and, and just share in this journey with her and uh, joining us on this podcast to do so. Uh, thank you. And let's take a listen. Hello, lifers, and welcome into the living room. I've already told you who we have here today, Beauty Munoz, and I am just so excited to have her join us. So we're going to jump right in. Beauty, welcome into the living room with Because Life Can Be a Niche. We are so thankful to have you here. Thank you, and I am so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. You are more than welcome. Um, I've already told everybody about who you are to me. So I'm just going to start telling them, you know, let's go on and get into it and talk about your story and and how much life you lived, girl, in such a short <laughs> period. <laughs> um, there is no 
no doubt, no question about your um, your singing and your beautiful voice. I, I think it's it is absolutely a gift from God. It is your oh. instrument and it is moving and powerful. But let's talk Thank about you. Let's, let's talk about <laughs> just singing. Uh, how did it all start for you? When did you, when it, did it hit you? Like, mom, I want to sing. When did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> well, I really, I grew up in a, a church family and my great, great grandfather actually founded the church that my cousins and aunts and uncles, my mom, everybody, they still go to, to this day. So I grew up, you know, singing. That's all I knew congregational songs. And when I was about three, this is probably the earliest memory I have of singing in front of an audience. Um, my mom and dad and cousins used to stand me up in a chair and it was me and my sister and maybe about four or five of my cousins and they would stand around me and I would sing and I would just be belting it out like a toddler, but I had like this big voice as a kid. And they were like, ooh, she gonna be somebody. You know how... <laughs> as country folk are, but they really, really enjoyed it. And, and I enjoyed singing for the Lord and mm -hmm. singing in front of an audience and just, you get that immediate feedback. It's not like being in a recording studio where you have to wait to see if somebody likes the song, but mm -hmm. it's that immediate, um, you know, interaction with an audience. But that's where it all began. And it was just instantaneous. I just knew this is what I want to do automatically so at three when you were singing you were never <laughs> afraid to step were you at no was not. well like throughout throughout different periods of my life I guess depending on the event um mm -hmm. I would have some you know jitters or I would say maybe nervous energy or I feel like oh I gotta drink all this water my throat's getting dry and my throat's closing up give me another bottle of water but over the years, I think that's just part of how my makeup is. But I was never afraid. The nervousness was not fear. I think the nervousness was, I don't want to mess up. I don't want my throat to be scratchy or I don't want, you know, to need some water in mid, you know, while I'm trying to belt out this song. But it was never afraid of the crowd or afraid of the stage or the mic. Even at three, I was, it was never fear. <laughs> okay. That's that is that is really that is really good. Um, because a lot of little kids, you can't even get them to come up and say happy Easter. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> stand up there right. and say speech, and then the child just start crying. So even yeah. had that kind of courage, it was almost like it was it was almost gifted to you. It was gifted to you at an it, yeah. age. God given you, for sure. Yeah. Did it growing uh, so going through school did you enter talent contests or talent shows or how did you nurture that gift was it just chorus in high school or what what did you do in high school to just continue to develop your craft well it was a combination of all of those things I was a community singer if anybody needed someone to open a baseball game if they needed someone to sing at weddings funerals church events um you know, any and everything in between, I was the person that they would call and they would, you know, call my mom and say, well, is she available to sing, you know, at my wedding or we're having a choir reunion and we want to put her on program. And 
<laughs> you know, so it, it really kind of um, took off from there. And then I started doing things, of course, at school, I think probably as early as uh, middle school, we called it junior high back in my day, but I um, don't want to date myself. But um, <laughs> in middle school, um, you know, I started chorus and I just carried that all through, even through college. Mm-hmm. I was always in choirs and smaller ensembles. Some of them you had to audition to be a part of, or you had to be invited to be a part of. And um, I did like honor chorus and all state chorus and where you would compete and things like that. So I really got a lot of my choral background and my choral training in middle school, high school, and college. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And I so, ended up being a choir director for 10 years, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely <laughs> talk about that. So in performing at home, did people pay you when, when well, you performed? <laughs> sometimes. You know, we, we, we sometimes in different communities, it's, uh-huh. it's not, it's not um, a given that you pay the people who participate in your wedding or you pay the people who come to uh, sing at your church. It's not always a given that you'll get paid. And, that, and I, I didn't even actually know that I should get paid <laughs> because I hadn't gotten paid, you know, that, traditionally. So I think the first time I sang at someone's wedding, um, I got $25 and I was in high school. And it was one of my classmates, I think she was maybe uh, had graduated a couple of years ahead of me and the mom paid me. And I was like, for me, you know, I didn't realize that she was like, honey, you've been singing all around this town and nobody's been paying you. And I said, no, (laughs) ma'am. So at that point, the light bulb went off like, oh my gosh, I've been, you know, I've been investing years and years of just, you know, singing for free. And that concept didn't shift until, you know, in that moment. And then from then on, I would, I wouldn't charge people very much. It would usually be around that $25 range for a mm-hmm. wedding or, or something. So I kept it simple. Uh, that, that was a steal. When people hear you sing later in this podcast, <laughs> be like $25, that's the tip. <laughs> but um going through talking about it because our journey started in college we met Mm -hmm. at UVA and Mm -hmm. and of of course you know uh we're sorority sisters and um Delta (laughs) baby and so we got a taste of your talent just from seeing you perform even before uh, you were initiated into Delta just seeing you perform then but through college and then after that, what, where did your career go after UGA? Well, I actually ended up getting signed to a management deal right after UGA. I had gone to audition um, for a group, actually, for a cut close, popular 90s R&B group. And at the time, they were so-called, you know, restructuring, breaking up. It was only going to be um, Athena Cage, the lead singer. <clears throat> and so I went to this audition and immediately um, I looked around at all these gorgeous girls and everybody could sing. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this, you know, it was a little intimidating. And it was, you know, 
industry folks that I recognize, Keith Sweat and all these different people that were, you know, household names in the R&B game back then. This was probably around 97, 97, 98. And um, so I saw Athena in person, which I'd never seen her in person before. And she was uh, like 4'11". And I'm like 5'3". And I said, okay, so there's really, they're not going to put me in this group. Let's be realistic. They're, they're not going to put me in this group. So let me just, you know, go for broke, do my thing. And I did. And mm-hmm. there was a scout there. Well, not a scout. He was actually um, Keith Sweat's manager. Mm-hmm. And um, he was looking to put his own group together. And so out of the people that were not, going to be in cut clothes or, or we're in the running or whatever. He had his eyes kind of set on them for another group. And that group became Roxy and I became the lead singer. And, you know, long story short, that's what kind of jump started my professional career. Um, I went from community singer to an actual recording artist, <laughs> you know, traveling and touring and signing autographs and, all of that stuff, and mm-hmm. it, it was a blast. It was it came with its challenges, but um, yeah, that that's part of what kicked off my professional career. Not many. Don't worry about the fur baby. I see you. I see you get <laughs> fur baby. Don't worry about. He's he trying to tell his story because he got a story to tell too. Right? He wants to put his mm-hmm. suit in. What about me? Tell me about me. Talk about me. <laughs> But um, from that and the challenges, um, that is amazing, first of all, to just people pray to get signed so early and for you to get signed that fast and then meet all these people in the industry and, mm-hmm. and it just take off. So, so where did it go from there? Did you tour or how was that? What was, what was it like? And being so young, because I'm assuming uh, at this point, like, are you the youngest in the group? Or are you guys all the same age around? Actually, I was the youngest in the group. And mm-hmm. we, there were five of us. And mm-hmm. initially, it, it took a while to get to that final five. And that's what we called ourselves, because it was, it was like a kind of a revolving door one day you show up to rehearsal and there may be another completely different girl that you've never met before and what management was trying to do they were trying to create a super group basically this was before the age of reality shows and making the making the band and uh, it was before any of that but I'm telling you if we had cameras rolling back then we would have been number one <laughs> with the ratings because it was, it was it was drama it was chaos it was it was a lot right but uh-huh. I mean not amongst us we we really once we got our final five I should say mm-hmm. we gelled and we became sisters uh, but prior to that it was it's like, I don't want to get too close to this person because I don't even know if they're going to be in the group. I don't even know if I'm going to continue to be in the group. You were mm-hmm. kind of walking on eggshells like, am I going to be replaced in the next week? And it took us a while before we actually started um, recording because we went through a, this was in the day of like true artist development, which is a lost um, art form that I think we as an audience member, as a, a, a consumer of music, we kind of, we, we, 
have missed out on that in today's music because when you're talking about Joe Jackson and how he whipped them Jackson five in the in the shape, when you're talking about Matthew Knowles, when you're talking about um, people who know the business, and it was it. I'm not advocating for you know anything that is extreme, but I'm saying artist development works. I was developed as an artist. I learned how to um, command the stage. I learned how to um, have mic control. You know how some people just be singing all like this with the mic. Yeah, no, 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 no. That, that's, no. It can't be. That's very showmanship-like of you. Yeah. But how can people hear you if you're moving the mic all around, ma'am, sir? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> and if I but, could sing, I would do that. <laughs> I cannot. I cannot carry a tune in a bucket. If they said your life depends on singing, y'all just come on to my fume because that's what's going to happen. But when I see people, girl, yeah, it's going to be a good fume. Like she tried to sing. They told her your life depends on it. And <laughs> she lost. But now I'm singing at her fume. Yeah. <laughs> they're doing this. Ah. That's not right. We're doing all of that. That's, that's not the way, boo boo. That's doing not that. the way. Because you're you're losing your sound, but your audience is, is losing they're, they're getting the showmanship, but you can't even hear what you're saying. Mm -hmm. So I learned things like that, mic control, stage control, how you um, you know walk from different points on the stage to you hit those points to engage your audience, um, to hype up the crowd, you know, audience participation. And we had um, rigorous um, diet control. We had rigorous um, working out, breath control. We ran in place. We did all these kinds of um, exercises to increase our stamina on stage because we were not only an R&B singing group, but we were an R&B pop dance group. So everything had choreography. Everything was up-tempo. You know, we were the equivalent of what our manager, our management team, what they were developing was a group that could compete with the Spice Girls. So they were huge in Europe. They were breaking us in Europe. And one of the big major things was we come to rehearsal and that may be all day. You may not go home. That, that may be an all day affair. Like you come, you may break for dinner and go get something to eat, you come back. You rehearse some more. Um, we had like a small room that we rehearsed in. Then we had the big room that actually had like a stage and, and mirrors and they would cover all the mirrors so that we couldn't see to try to use the mirrors to cheat choreography. But you had to know that choreography. And, um, you know, we have two or three choreographers in the room making sure we were on point. We had our vocal coach, a whole team of people to make sure that this project in this group succeeded. Mm -hmm. And I don't think in today's industry, it, it may be that way in some cases, but not so much because we have a lot of independent artists and we don't have the label set up like it used to be. You have um, iTunes, you have Spotify, you have independent labels and it's great. I'm all for it. I'm just saying I grew up under a different type of regimen where artist development was a huge part of how I now can do what I do because I was taught right. old school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's nothing, mm -hmm. nothing wrong with old school 
because now you can take that old school discipline and use all of the new school things that are out there now to still mm -hmm. um, move your career along. <laughs> so when you were um, when you were in Europe and, and touring, uh, what was the reception like? I mean, because I'm assuming this was, well, first of all, before we talk about the reception in Europe, that was your first time leaving the country or had you been out of the country before? Let me tell you. I am a country girl. I am a country girl. Me I will too. say it again. <laughs> I, am a, I am a country girl. Uh -huh. So when I tell you at age, what was I, 24, I think, 23, 24, that was my first time. Well, well we, we actually went to a music conference in Vegas, uh, actually Reno, Nevada, which is right near Vegas. We went to a huge uh, music conference and it was my first time on an airplane. I mean, many people fly on airplanes, you know, starting as kids. But me, I was a grown woman and petrified, terrified of ter turbulence. I'm praying. I'm like, Lord, keep me safe. Keep this plane in the sky. I was pretty ridiculous. But, you know, having never flown before, you can kind of understand <laughs> where I was coming from. But um, so I, we, we did. Uh, I had one experience, you know, flying to uh, Vegas in the Reno area. And that music conference was fantastic. Of course, we you meet all kinds of celebrities, artists, people that you listen to. I met Joe, I met Chico, we took Chico DeBarge, we met, we yeah. took pictures with everybody. Um, we actually performed, I think we, we performed during that time and we had custom made gowns and we had, everything was custom made. We had our own um, seamstress, our own stylist, our own makeup person who traveled with us. We were signing autographs. Like people would look at us and, and they knew we were somebody, but they didn't know who, because we didn't have any music. We, we, we had not recorded yet. We had not, all we had was our live performances, but because we moved like, you know, the saying when you move like money or you act like, mm -hmm. you act like money, people think you got money. So, I'm now they, they had us looking right. They they had us looking right. We looked the part. No one had ever heard us sing a note, but we looked the part. So when Roxy was um, you know, stepping out, we got a lot of attention and we had not even, you know, dropped a single at that point. But anyway, we came back from Reno. It was still the grind just to get ready for this European tour. And we opened for Destiny's Child, the original Destiny's Child, because our um, manager was actually their road manager. He, he managed lots of people. He managed TLC, road managed, um, meaning when they go on tour, he's the person who is, who is managing, not full-time manager. Yeah. But um, in 112, um, the group 112, mm -hmm. yeah. it, it, it was a fantastic tour. So everywhere that they went, we opened. Every tour that they were booked for, uh, we were the openers. Usually 112 would come next. And then um, the Destiny Child were the headliners. So mm -hmm. we had the same tour bus. We stayed at the same hotel. We ate at the same restaurant. Um, but we did not, like, hang out or anything like that. Because this is going to be my each, next question. <laughs> you know, well, each camp was separate, you know, and we okay. kept it very professional. And mm -hmm. our management team made sure. The focus is the music. The focus is the show. You're not mm -hmm. going to get over here in Europe and, you know, thinking you're going to 
hook up or thinking you're gonna hang out. That's that's not the focus. The focus is the music. Because um, at that time we were being courted by Sony Europe for for a distribution deal, and we were quite sure that we were going to be living in Europe at some point. Like we were, you know, the plan was to get established as European artists because they love Americans. They love Americans. They love American music. You know, we're like a novelty just as much as the Spice Girls were to America. We would be the same to Europe. So um, that was the plan at the time. And and it it was my first time away from home. It was during Christmas. Excuse mm-hmm. me. Oh, Maybe we can cut. Okay, we can. <laughs> we sure can. <laughs> My nose just keeps running. No, you're I'm not even crying yet. <laughs> so when we were in Europe, that was my very first time being away from home on Christmas. Christmas is a big deal. So we never, I have never been away from my family during the Christmas season, but mm-hmm. in bringing in the new year um, in a different country, no less. But mm-hmm. it was like a coming of age time for me. These were things that I've never even dreamed of before. You know, when you're little and you say you want to be a star, you don't know what that entails. You don't, you don't know the sacrifice. You don't know the situations you're going to be in. You don't know any of it. You're just saying as a little kid, oh, I want to be a star. Yeah, it it glamorous. A, it, it's glamorous, but it, you know, it comes with a price as well. I lived mm-hmm. in a controlling situation. Everything was controlled Mm -hmm. from what I ate, what I drank, you know, in hindsight, that probably was beneficial because they didn't want us to drink soda. They wanted us to stay away from dairy and (laughs) milk Mm -hmm. products. And that's all good. But their goal was to keep us thin. (laughs) It was not to keep us healthy. Right. The goal was (laughs) make sure you can fit these size zero dresses that are being made for you right now. (laughs) So. Exactly. It's it's totally <laughs> different when, when you talk about that. And I think, you know, that's a part of it that I'm glad you're sharing, because for those who are, are listening or watching the podcast right now, especially uh, young people, you see what they're seeing is the the tour is really the the climax of uh, maybe a year, sometimes two of the hard work of the choreography of the um mm-hmm singing and of the recording over and over and over again to get the notes right. And then it's like, now we're going to come out. And even then the work is very hard behind the mm-hmm. scenes because it's grueling because mm-hmm. I'm imagining, and this is just what I've seen on TV, that, um, you know, you're performing night after night after night. Is, was that how it was for you guys too? Was it like back to back to back? And then you yeah. load up and then you're off to another city and then it's back exactly. to back. You have, you have described it exactly as it was. And mm-hmm. the, the leading up to it, we pro- I, I want to say six months to nine months before we actually even went on the tour um, to, to get ready for the tour. And it did take a lot of, when you say rehearsal, it's not just, oh, let me go up here and, and sing this song. No, you're full out choreography, sweating bullets in a you know huge room, but a hot room. And you're over and over and over. It doesn't matter if your muscles are aching. It doesn't matter if you get a cramp in your leg. You you keep going because the show must go on. And it, it doesn't matter if you're tired. It doesn't matter if you're cramping. It doesn't matter. 
because the show must go on. And so I developed that mentality. And I, I'm pretty sure that that has helped me in my, in my current life in that no matter what, if you have something that you have committed to, you have to see it through. You can't make excuses. You can't get, go around it. You can't go under it. You kind of got to go through it. Yes, and right. we went through that, that process. Of, we actually, I forgot, but we had a trainer. We had a, um, a trainer. So we went to lift uh, weightlifting training and we, you know, jumping jacks and running in place. I'm saying for hours, <laughs> hours. It, it was a lot. But, um, you know, it, it, after a while, it became our way of life. It wasn't something that we um, complained about anymore because it's just part of the process. This is artist development. Welcome. That's, that's what it was. And once we got on the tour, um, of course, you know, knowing who um, Beyonce is now and knowing that I was on tour with her and Latavia and Latoya and Kelly back then, the original Destiny's Child, that work, work ethic is unmatched. So you mm. can imagine what we were going through, Roxy, you know, with our regiment and what the level of 112 and their regiment and who they are today. Cupid, you know, keep, don't, 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 don't keep that. <laughs> don't keep that, cut that. But, and where 112 is today and who they were back then to the R&B industry, you have to recognize that level of discipline and that level of artistry. So that's the kind of caliber of artists that we were amongst. And we could not be slipping. You know, our game had to be just as elevated as theirs. Right. And that's right. That's what that tour was from city to city to city to city. We were in Amsterdam for a few days. We were in Birmingham, um, England. We were in London, England. We were in Paris and Manchester. Mm -hmm. um, and I forget at what time we were there, but it was over about a month stretch of time that we hit all of those cities. So in the midst of all of that, because now you probably think, oh, I'm, I'm on my way. This is it. Were you <laughs> loving it? Were you loving it? Then was it everything you thought it would be when you were a little girl? No. <laughs> the, the, simple, <laughs> the simple answer is no, it okay. wasn't. And reason being, all that glitters is not gold. And yes, there were tremendous, wonderful experiences. We bonded so well. Like my, my sisters, that's my, Roxy, those girls are my sisters. Mm -hmm. And the bond that we um, forged during that time, you know, because we were all kind of going through this grueling but glamorous experience all at once. Mm -hmm. And um, so that bond can never be broken. But at the same time, when you see different things or you're subjected to um, a lot of, male chauvinism, a lot of, I grew up where men were respectful and, you know, when people look at you a certain way, like they just literally want to stop you up with a biscuit, it's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And, and that was all the time. It's like mm -hmm. eyes that were always looking at you or somebody that was always dead. Like, come <laughs> on, really? <laughs> right. I, 
I'm it's a, always I'm a person. It's always one, and especially you in know, those movies you see, it's like it's always that one lurker <laughs> that you just like. Honey, it was a lot of lurkers, is what I'm saying. The industry is full of lurkers. The industry is full of low down, um, shady mm-hmm. yeah. individuals that mm-hmm. they, they just have no self respect. And so they don't have any respect for you. They don't respect your art, artistry. They don't care that you can sing. Maybe they care that you can sing, but they mostly care that you look good. And it's all about um, outward appearance, it's all about uh, physique, it's all about what it shouldn't be. And that part really became, you know, became an, a, an issue for me. Because at the whole, just, you know, the whole time, the same time, I was born in the Christian church. I was born again. I wasn't like completely going to church all the time because I just, I didn't. That My life did not allow for it at the time. And, and neither did I make, I didn't make time for God. I didn't make time for church. I didn't make time for any of that. Of course, I still prayed. Of course, we still uh, came together um, as sisters and we would pray before performances and we would pray before rehearsals. And if anybody was having an issue, we'd pray. So we we had a connection to our faith, but my faith really kind of sat to the background. But at the same time, I would always get this um, nudge in my spirit, like, mm-mm, something ain't right. Some ain't, some ain't right about that. Mm-hmm. That don't look right, don't smell right, don't don't feel right. Something, mm-hmm. something is off about an individual or about a situation. And the more uh, that I got deeper into the industry, the more mm-hmm. that unction was always nagging at me. Like, this is what are you doing here? Why are you here? And then it became. Mm-hmm. When are you leaving? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm showing you this is not for you. I had, you know, advances from people on my team, people mm-hmm. in management that were approaching me inappropriately. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, that was the final straw because I can't, I can't work under these conditions. Do you hear mm-hmm. me? I can't. I, you want me to be this professional 20 something year old, but you're, you're coming at me. You're 20 something years older than me. It it, it doesn't even matter. Like it's inappropriate. It's Mm -hmm. inappropriate. And and how can you expect for me to continue under these conditions? Do you want me to say something? Is that what you, you want me to tell somebody what you're up to? Because that's what it's going to come down to. Either I'm going to tell somebody or I'm going to leave. And I chose Mm -hmm. to leave. It's just, even if I told someone that this person was making um, advances towards me, I don't believe it would have changed anything because that's the nature of the beast. That's the nature of the industry. The music industry is foul, it's corrupt. Mm -hmm. Not for everyone in every instance, but for me, that was my experience. And I didn't want any more of it, not under those conditions. No amount of fame and popularity was going to be a good trade-off for me because at that point we were not even getting paid we, we <laughs> let's talk about that well, <laughs> yeah, let's talk about people yeah are, yeah people yeah get you getting paid right mm-hmm. they see you riding in limousines we we, we had our own uh, driver um we you know we looked apart but we were not seeing any money check cheddar cheese mm-hmm. We were not seeing <laughs> any no, of that. No, and, 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 <laughs> no, none of it. None of it. And, and 
when I say that, I also have to say, in the industry at that time, you had a influx of artists who were basically, they, they were in terrible recording deals. They were in terrible distribution deals. Their publishing was messed up. And, and they were broke. They were filing for bankruptcy. They were, uh, homes were getting foreclosed on. And th these are artists that you look at um, and you're like, how in the world are they broke? Because their contracts, because they signed, basically signed their lives away, not knowing that you're not going to get paid for a while. Because when you start making money, you're not making money. You're, <laughs> when your records start selling, all of those, all of those uh, funds go back to repay the record company, the management company, the people who have invested money in you to get wow. you to where you are. Now, see, I can see both sides of the coin. I really can because mm -hmm. I've been, you know, on, on both sides of that fence as an artist developer, as a, a, a person who has invested into other artists' career. Because mm -hmm. when you look at it, they were paying for our wardrobe. Who, whoever was doing our makeup on a regular basis, mm -hmm. that person had to get paid. Our stylist had to get paid. Our vocal coach who was there at every single rehearsal and traveled with us everywhere, they had to get paid. Um, all the money for travel. I didn't pay to go to Vegas. I did not pay to go to Europe. That was paid for me. It I is like as an investment, they were investing into the artist and hoping to hoping to get a return with right. a hit record, a hit album, but it didn't, it, it didn't happen for Roxy. It didn't happen. I left the group and it, it didn't happen, but I can understand. But as an artist, I'm saying I too can understand on the front end to negotiate, to make sure that the contract does not only benefit the record label or the management company or the distribution company. You got to make sure that you have some safeguards in there to at least have it 50-50. Yeah, you know they got to recoup their money, but you also got to get paid. It, it has to be, you know, a dual win-win. Otherwise, you end up with folks who are broke, busted, and disgusted. And that, you know, happens to so many um, artists. Probably not currently because people have gotten wise to it in the last 20, 30 years. People understand how important it is to have a, a, a good contract in place. So those were lessons learned back in the day, for sure. Can you share what it was like? Because when you said you had enough and you walked away, that meant you had to break your contract. I did. So hmm. <laughs> what, was, what was your, what, what did that mean um, in breaking that contract? How did, what did you have to concede or give up as a result of walking away? Well, that meant, well, I, I was contractually bound for five years. So that meant that I could not be signed to a label. I couldn't be signed to a management deal, publishing deal, distribute. I couldn't, I couldn't be signed as an artist whatsoever. Now I could perform live. Um, you know, I could do gigs and stuff like that, but mm -hmm. I could not get signed by anyone because anyone who signed or tried to sign me they had to come up under the contract that I was already bound 
too. Wow. And my manager would still get his percentage or cut. So basically nobody wanted to deal with me and on my management end, <laughs> they were um, quite quite perturbed that I had messed up their master plan because that was going to be their next big thing. Roxy was their next big thing. And when I left, it um, just made that impossible, pretty much. Mm. So all of the money that they had invested, all of the training, all of the, you know, professionals that they had in place to make us who we are, all of that kind of fell by the wayside. So rightfully so, they were upset with me. And so I was pretty mm -hmm. much blacklisted. No, I couldn't get work. I, I couldn't work with anyone. The relationship, for, <laughs> the relationships that I had gained during that process of, you know, recording with folks, being in the studio. I worked with Shakespeare, who he produced and wrote a number one hit for for Destiny's Child, he did the Bills, Bills, Bills single, which shot to number one. He did No Scrubs for TLC. So I was around all of these folks, Candy from Escape, um, Tiny from Escape. They wrote a lot of our first songs that Roxy recorded. So we were always at Red Zone Studios. Tricky Stewart um, was there doing a lot of our music. We also covered songs um, that Dallas Austin had written and produced. So we were like, we were in the right place, right time, right people, right situation. But there were so many other levels of difficulty that, you know, plagued us and, and plagued me personally, that it was just not worth it. It, it wasn't worth it. You know, um, what did your bandmates, your group mates, how was that? Because you say that you guys were close and you were like sisters. So when you said, I'm leaving, did they beg you to stay or were they, I mean, how do you, because you're not only severing your contract and walking away from that part of your career and it, it's walking away from those ladies that you guys did, you get everything together. Mm -hmm. What was that like in terms of your relationship? That was um, a... That was, that was hard. It was mm -hmm. hard. Even though you kind of see like the handwriting is on the wall because mm -hmm. we, we actually, me and my manager in particular, we butted heads often. We would have these sit down meetings and, <laughs> and like he would just have us in there for hours just talking our ears off. And I was like, you know, and then I was, I was the vocal one. I was, I was the spokesperson for the group. I would say what everybody else was thinking, but didn't want to say, or it wasn't their personality to say. So I was that voice that was against the establishment. I am like, so the handwriting was on the wall. They already knew, you know, I, I had problems. There was friction, there was strife. There was um, like, I, I hated being controlled like that. I, I really did. I I realized the benefits of structure and and rehearsals, but but there's a fine line when you cross over into someone's personal space or there's personal life, and you're kind of trying to control who they date, or you're kind of trying to control who um, is in their life, or you're trying to control what job they have because at the time they weren't paying us. And I know this is a little bit off of the question. <laughs> But um, at the time, they, they weren't paying us. So I was, uh, I had a degree. I'm like, I'm, 
fresh out of the University of Georgia, like, why, why am I struggling to keep my apartment? Why am I struggling to keep my car? During mm-hmm. that time, when I was in Europe, my car got repossessed. Let's, you know, let's be, right. yeah, let's, let's be real. Let's be, so yeah. we, and then they were trying to tell me that I couldn't work a regular job. And I'm like, I'm not tied to a job. I'm just temping right now. And I need to make money because mm-hmm. you guys aren't paying us. I have to eat. I have to pay my apartment. Like, what are you going to do if I get evicted from my apartment? My car has already got repossessed. Like, mm-hmm. I need to make money. And so they were always on me about, okay, you're late. Why are you late? Because I just got to work. <laughs> like, <laughs> I have to work. <laughs> but so those types of issues, they definitely fed into the strife and the discontent mm-hmm. that I had with, with management. It was a husband and wife team. And um, they, they were just very controlling. Um, let me say that. Mm-hmm. And my bandmate, as much as they loved me and as much as they understood, it was hurtful mm-hmm. because not only was I ruining my chance, I was ruining their chance. Like I, um, I messed it up. So mm-hmm. there were a lot of hard feelings and it, mm-hmm. it, it took, it took time to rebuild. And we are just really, since the pandemic, um, have reconnected to rebuild and oh, tried wow. to, um, you know, but I will say this, they, they, they surprised me. Like my, my husband, Silos, he knows them because he was my artist developer. He, um, he, he had them come to my surprise 40th birthday party uh-huh. and I was blown away. So that was, I'm a good, I'm gonna tell my age, y'all. I'm 47. But, um, <laughs> but that was seven, that was, <laughs> that was seven years ago. And then I had no idea, like, he, you know, went around and, cause they, they knew him as the choreographer for the group. And he was also, um, he was also our artist developer. So he was the guy when we were in there running, he was got keep going, keep going, don't stop. You better not stop. You better not stop. You know, <laughs> what are you going to do when you're on stage? So he and I, you know, it, interestingly enough, he was able to bring them together and they surprised me for my 40th. And that kind of, it opened the door back up because the door was closed. It was closed. I mean, we, we, we tried, but we missed so much of one another's lives. Like when Silos and I got married, having kids and you know, like we missed a lot of each other's lives yeah. behind that big wound that was, you know, opened when I left and nothing really repaired it in, the, in those moments. Um, it wasn't um, any amount of talking or trying to explain myself or it just, you know, they were like, we understand, we understand, but they, it, it still hurts, you know, because they, they tried to. Yeah, I was going to say, what happened with them? Did they ever do, did they ever get an album or did they ever do anything? Or was it really, you know, the end of Roxy when you walked away? It was the end of Roxy as we knew it. Now, a few of them tried to continue. They changed the name of the group and they tried to continue 
um, with recording and uh, performing, but it didn't it didn't take off, and we we no longer had the support of of a a real team like mm-hmm. that management company. As flawed as it was, it was a machine, and that machine's sole purpose was to crank out top artists. It was to crank out hits. It was to put the right people in the room together to make it happen. And so when we no longer had that support, excuse me. So when we no longer had that support system in place, everything just kind of, you know, it fell apart. It slowly fell apart and they were not, um, no, not really able to rebound as a group. Now they have gone off individually and we have all, you know, been very successful um, on, on everybody's individual front. Um, doing their thing in still in the industry. You know, we have a, a photographer, celebrity photographer. We have two um, film producers um, who've got several uh, films and projects under their belt. We have an actress and recording artist. Besides me, I don't mean me. I'm, I'm talking about them. <laughs> I do all those things too, but I'm talking about them. They, I mean, so everybody's successful and we, we never strayed far from the industry, whether it was film and television or whether it was still making music, it's all, you know, industry related and the five of us are still plugged in. So we, we have a good laugh now that we have reconnected about how life's journey has, you know, brought us full circle and we're still in the industry in some, in some form or fashion. Right. That, that, that is good. That, that is wonderful that you have reconnected, but let's, let's back up a little bit because you said your <laughs> husband and how controlling it was and that he was actually training you guys. So were you mm-hmm. dating when you were in Rocky? Oh. That went, Mm-mm. okay. Hot no, tell ma'am. Let's, let's get well, on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I say that they had a very, when I say they, when I use the term they, I am usually talking about the management team, the husband and wife team. Um, There was a very strict non-fraternizing policy that we had to sign and it was strictly enforced because of the fact that there were so many, we're we're young 20 something year old um, artists on the rise around all of these industry people, you know, you, you had, 112, you had Chucky Booker, you had Myron, you had all of these, Sam Salter, who, who recently passed away. He actually wrote one of Roxy's very first songs that we went into the re- uh, recording studio to record. But we were always surrounded by these good looking, you know, young men and they were artists too. And our manager was like, no, stay focused, do not, be caught somewhere chatting it up, ha ha ha, kiki, and with somebody. No, you're here to work. And whenever they would, even if we would just say hi, or someone said hi to us, and we would say hi back, they were like, "We saw that. We saw that." Oh wow! No oh, fraternizing for real. <laughs> yes, 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 <laughs> for real. Like no fraternizing, and would bring out the paper and show us where we signed it, and say, "You signed this." No fraternizing, and I, I think, in a very I don't know, parental kind of way. Perhaps they were trying to prevent a lot of things that can happen. You know, people can end up pregnant. People can end up, you know, in some kind of relationship where they're upset with one another and then they don't want to be in the group anymore or they don't 
they don't want to be around this person anymore. And it could, it could have definitely negatively impacted. It could have have, you know, negatively impacted their relationship with other artists Mm -hmm. that they were already, you know, in contract with. So yeah, it was something, but yeah, with my, with my, you were asking me about, um, yes, because I'm like, okay, Philo. Yeah, no, <laughs> no fraternizing. So it wasn't until about three years later, I had left Roxy, I had started um, singing gospel. So I left one version of the industry to go to another because the gospel Complete industry is something, yeah, it has its own, <laughs> and so I was doing that. And had gotten, you know, a lot of gigs and I was performing locally, different churches, traveling a little bit and, and um, singing as well. And also, I had reconnected with some of my Delta Ensemble sisters, and we had started a group as well. And so we were traveling to various churches that we had connections to, whether it was North Carolina or whether it was Jessup, Georgia, or whether it was, you know, wherever we were uh, invited to, but we, we traveled probably for about two or three years as a gospel artist and we were called Redeemed. And the person who started that is my line sister, my sweet line sister, Lola. And we, we miss her so very much, but it, that was her brainchild. That was her baby. Of course, you know, she was dynamic on the piano, on them keys. And then she held yeah. down that alto note. So she mm-hmm. actually put us together and said, yo, we can do this. You know, let's, let's revive Delta Ensemble and let's rename it Redeemed since we're all, you know, sold out for the Lord and let's just take this thing and go sing to the masses. And that's exactly what we did. Oh. That's exactly what we did. So that was part of the gospel thing that my husband kind of helped segment, segue me into because he came into my life right after, I guess, maybe about three years after Roxy and I, we met one another, we saw each other and, you know, started dating after some resistance on my part. But (laughs) he initially was like, oh, I don't, mm, this is me. Like, mm, are you working for the enemy? Do you still work over there? Because I was blacklisted and it's only been three years. I mean, I got two more (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> two more years of blacklisting. I thought he, I literally thought he was a spy. You thought he and, came and I, to like check I, up on you for yep. the spy. I like did. The <laughs> now, now, do you think that was, what was, what, what do you call those paranoia? Do you think that? <laughs> because you could okay. be in a group. So the group that, um, that's, that I dear Lola, start started and I, I never knew that story by the way mm-hmm. i knew that i knew there was redeemed um and um it redeemed performed at my wedding i mean <laughs> you weren't at that one you might have been Mm-mm. traveling or, or something but um mm-hmm. but people to this day still talk about the the jesus that they brought into that church when mm. they Oh my goodness! But mm. but I've I've always teased your line. Y'all can sing, baby. All <laughs> of you. And I and my line can do none of that. I mean, we have <laughs> people who sing, but Lord have mercy. Mm-hmm. Except though, 
<laughs> That's right. Oh yeah. Put our mics on. Put our mics toward our feet. But okay. it's always been, I never knew that. So that that is mm-hmm. so sweet. And we lost Lola to well, you no, know, heaven gained Lola. Um, and her earthly presence left, uh, because of cancer. Uh, mm-hmm. but, um, I never, that is such a beautiful story, but anyway, mm-hmm. I, I, I just talking about that and you guys being in this group, you could be in a group, but you could not sign. So had redeemed gotten an album deal in that five years, you couldn't have, you would have been bound to your contract. Is that how? That that's initially work. how essentially that's how it would have worked. And okay. I think with the time with the timeline, I'm going back in my mind, I'm thinking Celos and I were already married. I think we were married and okay. then redeemed came. But we got married in 2002. So my timeline was a little bit off, but uh-huh. I was already during doing uh gospel gigs and record not recording. Um traveling and, and performing and ministering. We don't call it performing anymore. It's ministering ah, because okay. I'm a gospel artist now. I do not perform. I minister. Okay. You know, right. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, those, the, the terms with the people of, of faith, the people of God, hear me now, you know, mm-hmm. we have our own um, verbiage. We have our own, um lingo when it comes to the church and how you're gonna do it and how it has to be done right so we do not perform but going back to Celos, we um we met 98 and i was at a function for my my birthday and i was in a youth group of a young single christian group and we called it crunk for christ and we were just we were just we were everything we were single but we were sold out for the lord Mm -hmm. and um so we would have all these functions and and i was like the president and we we had all these you know events that we were playing so this was one of the events that they planned for me which was my birthday and it was at dave and busters and he was there celebrating who is now my son he was celebrating um his son's birthday party because he's an April baby as well and so we literally like literally I'm looking the other way and I my head's turned and I smack right into him and I'm like hey hey you know hi 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 how are you trying to compose myself because I hadn't seen this man in so long and when I knew him I really didn't like him because he was like a drill sergeant I did not care for him very much when he came in the room, that means things were about to get turned up, like elevated to the max. <laughs> so I ran into him and, you know, we exchanged pleasantries and he asked for my number. And I was so paranoid. I was like, I do not want to give him my number because what if he's still working for, you know, I told you that I was just abnormally paranoid. But we did exchange numbers and uh, he had called me. I gave him my work number. I did not give him my home wow. number. Very smart, smart. girl tip. Don't right. give him your home number. Right. <laughs> but this, now, this was before cell phones. Okay? Yeah, so right. This, 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 um, that advice does not even apply in, in this, today's modern society. But back then, I gave him my work number. And he would call, and I, I was like, 
I, I don't recognize that number. I'm not picking up or, or what I just I didn't I didn't talk to him for several weeks. And then I finally picked up the phone. And why was I on this phone with this man on company time for like three hours? I was multitasking my work, but I was on the phone with this man because I was like, oh, my God. I was I was doing something. I was connecting some dots because it was it was starting to add up. I was like, he's kind of cool. Like we have so much in common. Like, oh my gosh, he's in his youth choir. I'm in my choir. You know, we're both a part of these um young singles sold out for Christ groups. I forget the name of his uh singles group. But, and, and we just, we had a lot in common. And I didn't know that he also was a recording artist. Like this man was on Soul Train. He, he was in a band too. So he was in a four guy group called Fine and Sour. They opened for everybody. They were on tour with Heavy D, with Guy, with um, uh, New Edition, everybody from Boston. And he was actually an original member of the Funky Bunch, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. So when you think about groups that um, hailed from Boston, when you think about groups that started out of Boston, he is one of those groups. He and his group, Finest Hour. But at the time, I didn't know any of this. So no wonder he knew how to be an artist developer because he had gone through that same you know, regimen, that old school training of how to actually be a real performer a real recording artist we're not talking about people who only sound good in the studio we're talking about people who when they hit that stage they make it do what it do right and you know he comes from the same stock that new edition came from the same stock you know new kids on the block and all of that so they all know each other tour together he's friends with all of those guys and um they just have a common bond because they came up in that same era and they were around the same um, venues and, and promoters and all of that good stuff. So when I talked to him, I said, oh, my gosh, I really <laughs> like you. <laughs> and and, and so just, But you said he's from, from Boston. So mm-hmm. he's from Boston. We never talked about where you're from because that, that's a little different. <laughs> I, where you're from and... Uh, <laughs> Boston so how what what was that like well it was like the concrete jungle meets the creek because <laughs> we always had a creek back near our house and I would go and play in that creek and I would catch tadpoles and I <laughs> I mean I'm talking country <laughs> and mama, my mama would say don't you be drinking no water out of that creek <laughs> and we so, say Tacoa, Georgia. Yeah, so, Tacoa. Who are watching or listening? That is, it's a small town, but it's beautiful because I think Tallulah Falls um, is like right. I, I remember going either through Tacoa, right there to get to Tallulah Falls to watch in the well, gorge. They're, they're very close. They're yeah. like uh, maybe 45, 30 minutes away, but Tacoa has its own falls. Tallulah Gorge and Tallulah, they have, oh, it's beautiful up there. Beautiful um, up in Helen, Georgia and all of that. But we have uh, Tacoa Falls and it's 
so, so, so yeah. beautiful. And there's the Tacoa Falls College. There's a Christian college up there. So there's a lot to offer, but it, it is a very small town. You know, one high school. At the time when I was growing up, one middle school. We had three elementary schools that all fed into that middle school and that high school. So literally, you know, everybody knew everybody. You had Ingalls, you had Bilo, you had, um, it was a long time before we got a Walmart. Um, (laughs) We did not have a Piggly Wiggly. We did not. We had a Winn-Dixie for sure. (laughs) I'm from the same type of hometown, one high school, one middle school, and then the surrounding Byronville, Unadilla, Viana, Pinehurst, Mm -hmm. everybody had their own elementary fed into that one place and everybody knew everybody. I mean, Mm -hmm. they literally, you knew everybody. Mm -hmm. So a small town meets city. Big city. Big city. (laughs) Boston. Mm -hmm. And you guys just hit it off and, and jailed from that we 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 instantly realized that i'll say this i was engaged before in college Mm -hmm. and i had no idea what i was doing like (laughs) i think it was a fad or something that you just get engaged Mm. (laughs) but i thank my heavenly father that we did not proceed down that road in college, you know, or with that person, because my soulmate is Silos Munoz. And mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't realize that. And I had a phone conversation with him. Then I had another, then I had another and another. And within two weeks time, let me tell you that the two of us had already felt in our spirit that we were to be married. But it was like, do I really say that? Am I being naive? Am I being like, is this silly? You know, am I really in love? Like, you know, I'm I'm questioning myself, I'm talking to myself, but the Holy Spirit was also talking to me and he said, that's your husband. And you know Mm -hmm. how many people, you know how that can be taken (laughs) out of context. Right. (laughs) <laughs> a, a woman goes up to me the Lord told me he was my husband he's like boo I'm married I cannot be your husband right. so I didn't, it, it wasn't that type of situation it was for real mm-hmm. it, it was for real it was authentic mm-hmm. it was the voice of, of the Lord and so we had a phone conversation it's like two weeks later now and um, I say to him I said well has you know has, has the Lord been saying anything to you has the Holy Spirit like said anything to you? Because I didn't want to be the first one to say something. And he mm-hmm. said, yeah. He told me you're my wife. And I said, oh, how did I know Yeah. Y'all know what it is. Introducing beauty. Ha. But I'm not the beast. I'm the billionaire. Come on, beauty. Do your thing. Lego. Let me see you walk that walk Standing there doing all that talk Blah, 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 blah What you really think you gon' do? Think I'm gon' jump if you say boo Sneaking around copping all my moves You got another thing coming to you This is my 